disgusting human. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. Peter and Cecil are off this week, but that's fine because Mike White is stepping in because we are going to be looking at a franchise that people probably forget is actually a franchise at this point. Right, Mike? I would highly agree with that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably, for the first time, saw the sequels when I made you watch them. Oh, yeah, 100%. I was vaguely aware that there were sequels, but not even, probably from an earlier conversation with you. Even though I'm a little bummed tonight because a tomato ate my sister. I don't even have a sister, but still. Guys, if you want to help out the show, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. And also, if you are surfing the internet, you should be using a VPN. And the VPN you should be using is Nord. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash D-R-O-M-E-V-P-N. Drome VPN, and you can get Nord for only $2.99 a month for a three-year plan. That's 75% off to protect your data, to stop being tracked on the internet, to access region-locked content, and other things. <clears throat> Go to 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. It helps out the show, and it helps out you. So we're going to talk about the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes franchise. They're really Killer Tomatoes, because they dropped the attack after the first movie. What did you know about this franchise before I made you watch all of the sequels? Well, I i mean, obviously I didn't know it really was a franchise. I for sure knew about the first one. I remember that being reviewed on Siskel and Ebert, maybe when it was still at the movies way back when. And I remember the scene of them uh, showing the scene of the old people watching the tomato attack. and Which is the best scene in the entire movie. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, of course, the song and then, of course... Uh, uh, they used clips of it from It Came From Hollywood, so I definitely knew the song, knew different parts of it, was very familiar with that. I think had I seen this movie, maybe just, like, I think I was just a little too young for it, but I think had I seen it, oh, maybe like two years older, I would have fallen in love with this film and been all about it because it is the complete right type of absurd humor that I so enjoy. It's Airplane before Airplane, and I know that's sort of dismissive to say that because this does predate Airplane, but a lot of people who don't look at the dates go, oh, this thing is just like Airplane, except it came out two years before Airplane did. So while it is Zazz-style humor, the Zazz guys aren't involved in this at all. No, I have to say, was it the cartoon that uses a joke exactly from Airplane? I was like, oh, we're going to go there, huh? We're going to do that. The station, what yeah. is it? Oh, it's a big place with a lot of cameras, but never mind about that. The Zazz guys and the Killer Tomatoes guys are all friends in real life, so that might have been just a friendly ribbing, too. But yeah, this the, the humor in this, the self-awareness, and basically the winking at the camera throughout all of these movies, I really appreciate it. Well, let's talk about the original as people would go to see this originally. You've got the poster, was the first thing that anyone will notice. The poster is very cartoonish. I think while that does set a great tone, it also sets the wrong tone because it's not the type of movie you're going into, where at, at the same time I do think it sort of is. Does that make sense when you think of that very awesome poster? 
The poster's fantastic, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I guess it would make me think that perhaps this movie is a little higher budget, maybe, but, or at least some more, like, cartoonish elements, but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, fully low budget shot on, what, 16, you think this maybe is? It doesn't look like it's quite 35. I, I think it was 35. I think they mentioned on the commentary it was 35 because the the original short, Technically Killer Tomatoes was based on a short film that they made when they were in college, John DeBello, Stephen Peace, and Costa Dillon, and that was on 16, and I think on the commentary he mentions they got to upgrade to 35 for the actual film. Nice. Yeah, I kind of wish I would have seen the DVD or the Blu-ray. Apparently the Blu-ray has a slightly different cut available on it. Yeah, it's got more scenes put back in, but they don't really amount to anything in the movie. That's fair. I mean, it's just a couple of extra jokes, but fine. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the first thing most people notice after the poster is the title. Because with a title, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you have to know you're not getting into something serious. But I think where the movie plays it brilliantly, it never plays it like a comedy. I mean, yes, there's jokes throughout the whole thing. The movie is played as if this is deadly serious the whole time. That's what I love about it. Yeah, same. I really appreciate that. And we don't necessarily know how they are attacking or what their method of killing people is, but they definitely take a lot of people out. Well, because you also have, then there's blood or tomato juice. Right. Which is it? Later on, we actually get them with teeth and they bite and all that. But for the first film, it's just tomatoes start an uprising we don't know why it's hinted that this is not america centric that this is international although we won't get confirmation of that till later sequels thing that i always liked about this as a kid this is like night of the living dead but with vegetables <laughs> and it well, and fruits because tomatoes are a fruit and a vegetable which also leads to Arguably the most controversial line in, in the original movie, where the intentionally badly dubbed scientist, which I love that joke, the intentionally badly dubbed Japanese scientist says, when one character says these vegetables, he goes, actually, sir, tomatoes are fags. And the, no, 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 I, I, he means fruits. Tomatoes are fruits. <laughs> you couldn't do that joke today. No. No, there's a lot of jokes in here I don't think that you'd be able to get away with now. What would be your favorite joke from this one? I mean, as a specific joke, we both like the scene with he ate up little Timmy and all that. What's your specific favorite throwaway style joke in the first movie? Oh, gosh. I It might have to be the guy who's been undercover that whole time when he asked for the ketchup. Oh, he's undercover He's undercover as a giant tomato. He's eating with them and asks for ketchup. And we think he dies, but he shows up in later sequels. Yeah. So. yeah well... Is it the same actor who shows up? Yeah, it's the same wow. actor, and he's playing he's playing the same character. Time has not been kind to that gentleman. No, he got large. <laughs> but by the time the second film shows up, yes, he got large. See, my actual favorite joke, it's one of the dumber jokes in this film. Because you, you have our main character girl, you know, she, she's basically Lois laning it, you know, she's Porter, she's going to get the story, and all you see is like a red cape leaving, and she goes, oh, hi, Clark. I don't know, I don't know why. That joke is so stupid, and I laugh at it. Yeah, this, this movie's filled with stupid jokes, filled with stupid songs. People break out in the song. A song ends up taking out the tomatoes at the end. Yeah, it all works for me, though. I love those stupid things like the crawl that goes across the bottom of the screen. It's just like, okay, that works for me. It's like they just start throwing everything at this movie. Random, non-sequitur throwaway jokes that have nothing to do with the plot, like the blind traffic cop. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Nothing, but it's funny. And I, you know what? I don't think you could do that today either. No, I didn't. You, think you're so. making fun of people with disabilities. We also need to talk about what is arguably the most famous scene in this movie. The unintentional scene that cost more than half the oh, budget. Oh, God. First of all, that helicopter crash looks amazing. If only it had been planned, right? <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, there's no way they're crashing that chopper for real. I mean, that's not a model. What the hell's going on here? And then I had to read about it from behind the scenes. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, okay. And then, of course, they use it in the sequel. I was like, well, that makes sense. If you've got that happening, you better use it in the sequel. But then also the fact that the actors, obviously, because the helicopter was just supposed to land and drop off the, the two characters, Jack Riley and our villain, which, well, we don't know he's the villain at that point, but it's just supposed to drop them off and then leave. The helicopter pilot got a little too close to the ground. The rotor hit the ground, which made them spin out of control all on camera. And the director 
almost didn't get the shot because he he correctly deduced, I need to go see if these people are dead. Because he said that was the first thought that, oh my God, I just killed my actors. But the second unit director didn't stop filming. So that's why it's still in the movie. He actually captured the whole crash on camera sort of by accident. Yeah, what luck, quote unquote, I guess. I mean, was anybody hurt? Nobody was hurt, and then they quick, the actors decided, quick, get the camera rolling while the, while the wreckage is on fire, we'll ad-lib some dialogue and we'll use it. It, it works perfectly in the movie. They ad-lib something about like a tomato leapt at the helicopter or something like that. And that actually, that helicopter crash cost them $60,000. This was only a $100,000 movie, so that was more than half the budget, but got them untold amounts of publicity because that was on the Tonight Show with, you know, Jack Riley went on the Tonight Show the next night to talk about it. They showed footage. It was covered on the news. Newsweek and Time and the New York Times had it in the papers. That accidental helicopter crash probably got them more publicity than they could have ever bought. That's amazing. So what do you think the legacy of the first film is? Because, and we're really not talking about the plot much because there really isn't a plot. It's a bunch of non sequitur gags around tomato coming to life and attacking people. It's Night of the Living Dead with Tomatoes. But what do you think the legacy of the original is? Let's leave out all the sequels, leave out the TV series, the video games, all that just in its original context. Well, of course, the band Soundgarden. Wasn't he with Pearl Jam, too? I think he was with Pearl Jam, but I mostly know him as the... He was the drummer from Soundgarden, correct? Matt Cameron wrote the song Puberty Love, which is intentionally made to be the worst pop song ever, and that's what's, that would, that is what defeats the tomatoes at the end. I wonder if he's proud of this or not. It kind of reminds me of another movie where they also use a song to defeat the alien invaders. I can't remember the name of that, though. It, it, it was something about Saturn, right? Uh, Saturn or Jupiter. I don't recall the name of it. There was a guy, Tim. Oh, what was that guy's name? But yeah, it was very similar to something else that I've seen. Uh, let's just say the director noticed that too. And not in a playful, let's rib the Zazz guys sort of thing. <laughs> so he noticed that as well. Yeah, I mean, it is very, very similar to, uh, to Mars Attacks and the way that they defeat the creatures. I was very happy to see the San Diego Chicken in this film as well. God, the San Diego Chicken was so popular. Even being out here in Detroit, I knew who he was. There were so many things that were on him. I think, like, real people focused the whole segment on that guy, so he was, to me, the most popular mascot around in all of professional sports. Do you remember how this movie did critically when it came out? I mean, uh, of course, I mentioned that they were on Siskel and Ebert, but I don't, I think they gave them thumbs up, but I don't know any other reviews that were going on. Well, a lot of the reviews were negative because, and it's, it's just so weird to look at this in retrospect, Mike. They didn't understand this movie is supposed to be bad. A lot of the reviews were talking about the cinematography and how stupid the story <laughs> is. And director John DeBello is like, the joke's over there. You missed it. One, of course, your favorite site, Rotten Tomatoes, only gives it a 27% critical approval. I- irony, Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, exactly. Given the, given the subject matter. <laughs> In later years, it became much more popular. I think repeated viewings on cable, because that's where I first saw it. Where did you first see it, video or cable? Oh, gosh. I think I rented it on video. This was probably in the quote-unquote cult classic section at Blockbuster. I saw it on either late-night UHF TV or, like, on Cinemax or the movie channel or something like that. Yeah, it would have been probably six or seven years after I saw that review, so I think I was a little too sophisticated for it at the time. Well, speaking of sophistication at the time, the issue of the jokes in the movie. You have the dumb jokes, like like we pointed out, you know, it's really a fruit kind of joke and the Superman joke and stuff. And then you have weird jokes that are, are, are weirdly intellectual. Like when the Japanese scientist is with all the other scientists in the super small room, which is funny in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really these, reminded me of the Marx Brothers in that little cabin that they have. I kept expecting somebody to open the door and them all to pour out. You know what? Now that you mention that, you, that I'm surprised that didn't happen. <laughs> What's funny is you got, you know, it's a military briefing room or whatever, and you got these uh, pictures all over the walls, and the Japanese scientist, when he raises his hand, accidentally knocks down a picture of the USS Arizona and drops it into the fish tank. The USS Arizona was one of the first boats sunk at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, and I'm going, that's a 
deep frigging cut oh, yeah. for a joke, Mike. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, in, in, and this is the same thing where the next line you're using the word fags. Right. Yeah, it is all over the place, which is one of the reasons why it's so appealing. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, it it literally became a cult classic, as I think it should have. You know, there was no franchise at this point. But then in 1988, and I don't know why it took them 10 years to do this, the the three guys, DeBello, Dylan, and Peace, decided now is the time to make a sequel. And it's got the same sort of absurdist, kind of literal joke tone to it. Would you say that Return of the Killer Tomatoes is a much more mean-spirited jab at Hollywood than it is at monster movies? That feels like it, yeah. I, I don't know if that was maybe because of how they were treated in the 70s with the original, but they eventually went to New World Pictures. Now, this was not good New World Pictures. This is after Roger Corman, and this is this is New World Pictures when they literally, when they bought Marvel Comics accidentally, they accidentally bought Marvel Comics, the CEO of New World actually said, Gentlemen, we now own Superman and Batman. Yeah. That shows how little New World Pictures actually knew about anything in this era. They gave the guys money to make a sequel, and I think wisely they set the sequel ten years into the future. But this one brings in John Aston, who I'm just going to go on record and say is a national f***ing treasure. F***ing A. Yeah, he sure is. I'm very curious. Did you see the movie that they made in between here, Happy Hour? Yes. Happy Hour is... It, it's it's a little more plot heavy, but not if that makes sense. Because Happy Hour is about super addictive beer, and then they lower the drinking age to six, so kids <laughs> can drink it. It's in a way, it. I got this, and I don't mean this in a like ripoff sort of way, but this is a an overt satire of the stuff. Which itself was a satire. Cause you got, you got the marketing, you got the fake commercials, people being addicted, you've got the rebellion. This is the stuff, but with beer and trying to be an overt comedy, not with the horror elements that the stuff would have. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So I, I take it you haven't seen Happy Hour or Sour Grapes as it was known internationally? I have not, no. I rented this on VHS way back then. I just rented it cause there was a half naked girl on the car, hmm. on the VHS. I don't think this actually has a DVD release at this point i would be surprised i mean it feels like one of those movies that's been kind of lost at the sands of time no one's seen it and i think that's why they went back to killer tomatoes it was like you know what we want to make another comedy killer tomatoes is doing great on home video it's doing great on cable let's make another one of these and they made return of the killer tomatoes what i hate about this movie is that it's more famous because this was one of George Clooney's first roles. Okay, and George Clooney's in it, and he's fun, and he looks like he's having a great time. The movie's a lot more than just a movie that happens to have George Clooney in it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's got the guy from Repossessed in it, Anthony Stark. Don't bring up that movie, please. <laughs> I hate that film. I had to watch that when I was doing research for Exorcist Two: The Heretic. I, I, but this brings in John Aston, who, as, as our villain, he'll be our villain for now on. This movie says that him as, as Professor Mortimer Gangrene, he becomes Professor Putrid Gangrene in the later movies, so I don't know why that, but as Dr., as Professor Mortimer Gangrene, he created the Killer Tomatoes, and he's a mad scientist, and you know, all of the old classics. He's not mad, blocks. he's just angry. Doesn't that contradict then the villain in the first movie? And in a weird way, this movie says we hope you saw the first film because we're going to keep referring to it by having all the surviving characters come back in it but at the same time we hope you didn't pay attention to it because yeah we're, we're totally changing the continuity at this point yeah we kind of wanted it wanted its cake and to eat it too this introduces some characters that would go on for a while like did you like ft fuzzy tomato because i loved him not necessarily but i grew to appreciate him especially in the cartoon in the cartoon, he's great. And then, of course, there's Tara. That She's our tomato person. Hot girl who's actually a tomato. And she eats fertilizer. She falls in love with Anthony Stark, who is the... Is it the cousin or grandson of Finn Letter from the first movie? I thought it was nephew, but I could be wrong. Nephew, okay. You've, you've got gangrene trying to create an army of super tomatoes. You've got lots of weird in-jokes. You have, at one point, the movie runs out of money, and they have to resort to product placement, which is hilarious. I love where they're trying to have a serious discussion, and a, a stagehand is dancing a cornflakes box across the screen, and like, isn't there a Pepsi logo on gangrene's castle yeah. or something? 
then and there's a there's a Pepsi logo on his like what hand drawn basically or it's like a model thing. And then when he turns around at one point, there's a big Pepsi logo on the back of his white jacket. Whenever they come into the restaurant, they're like a nice clean Pepsi. You can use Colgate to what brush your teeth, and they're holding up the items. And I really wonder if that was actual stealth product placement or if that was we don't care what these people say, you know, Colgate and Pepsi and all that. We're just doing it. Yeah, because they were going nuts with all of that stuff. There were so many products. I mean, it was like the joke. When was Wayne's World? Was that after this? I think it was. Yeah, Wayne's World was three years I later. I mean, this you know makes Wayne's World look like they weren't chilling anything because they are just going so hardcore that the whole discussion they have when they're on the four wheelers and they're actually giving the dealership uh, props for where those Honda four wheelers are available from or or the other giant fourth wall breaking thing the discussion of why they need to do product placement they go behind the scenes all the actors break character the director is playing the director he yells at the extras for talking because now because of SAG they have to pay them yeah. I, I, I just you know what Spaceballs did the same joke sort of. I think this one did it better. This one, like I said, there's a mean-spiritedness towards Hollywood at this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate this movie much more than Spaceballs. So did you like this one better than Attack? Uh, no, I think I like Attack better just because it had that independent, um, like lower budget independent spirit. I mean, I liked this movie. Um, I liked, uh, the other character who's gonna come back quite a bit, Igor, Stephen Lundquist, who is obsessed with being a, uh, broadcaster. And I really liked that character. And of course, yeah, you said John Aston owns this movie. He's fantastic in it. Yeah, I think I like the original better, but just a scotch. But this one was very, very fun. Do you think this one is is fair to be called that George Clooney movie? Because really, I mean, he is in a lot of the movie, but he, he is supporting cast. And what I don't like is like how his name on the DVD is above the title, above everybody else. And it's like, you know he's not the main freaking character, right? Well, it's like cutting class, you know, starring Brad Pitt, you know, just the marketing way of doing it. But, yeah, I mean, he's second banana, and I mean that literally. But, yeah, it's I'm it fine with that. I want to talk about John, John Aston for a minute because he was such a great addition. He will be in both of the sequels and the TV series. You can tell he is just having a ball in this movie. Yeah, he is fantastic and just chewing up the scenery in all the right ways. And he's a great angry scientist because he he has this weird plausibility. He's so crazy that he believes the stuff he says. It almost makes you go, you know what? He might have a point. <laughs> and I think that is John Aston's acting ability and the fact that he's playing a living cartoon character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just, I mean, God, so many of these, these things that happen in this movie that he's creating this army of Rambos out of tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> and that they're all musically controlled and how the different songs bring about different tomato people. I mean, just so many silly ideas, but they work so well. And even though she wasn't a great actress, the actress playing Tara, I thought brought a weird sweetness to her character. She was. Because she's, she's, she's got this fish out of water innocence because she's a tomato, so she doesn't know how to interact with the world. She brought a weird sweetness that made you go, I actually see why Anthony Stark is falling for her. Yeah, she kind of fits into that, uh, born sexy yesterday trope where it's like, you know, her and Lilu from the fifth element and all of these, you know, female creations where they come alive and they're super stupid but super sexy but you're right she had kind of a, a sweetness and an innocence and just a sincerity to her that i thought really made me care for this tomato person okay then i got one last question about this one with fuzzy tomato they actually make the joke in this that he is a perfect marketing tool yes. that you can use him to make toys and stuff does it shock you that they never actually did that I am very, especially since they have that scene in here where they're selling him. I thought that was great. Hey, but, but I, I mean, in the real world, you would buy a fuzzy tomato stuffed toy, wouldn't you? Possibly, maybe, I suppose. As long as it was marketed you're, correctly. You're a curmudgeon. <laughs> I'm not one to buy a whole lot of toys. Then we, we do not move on to a sequel, even though we're teased that they're going to be eating France. That'll come later. The next thing we do is we move to television, and now Fox is involved, and that's going to become a problem down the line. So I sent you the first episode of season one of the cartoon and the first episode of season two, because they're radically different seasons. What did you think going into the cartoon? I was 
it was like a little bit of a nostalgia fest for me, like having Weird Al introduce the cartoon. Well, he kind of doesn't introduce it. He doesn't seem to know what's coming up next. And then he, the commercial with Tone Loke doing a voiceover that he's going to be this cartoon character. I enjoyed that a little bit more than the cartoon, but actually I thought the cartoon was absolutely fine. Some weird choices when it came to the animation. Just like there are some shots in there where I'm like, a human body doesn't work that way. Like, how is she? Like, there's an interaction of her and Fuzzy Tomato, and I'm just like, how is she actually supposed to be in that position right now? Because she's basically, like, almost laying down in the frame. Just some weird stuff going on in there. But it's in terms of a Fox TV series uh, cartoon, I was absolutely okay with it. When this came out, this was a direct sequel to to Return of the Killer Tomatoes, because you got Tara coming back, and you've got Fuzzy Tomato, and you have Anthony Stark's character of Chad Finletter coming back. For some reason, Fox dictated, we need a teen, you know, a teenage character. Right. Because, you know, th- that whole idiotic thing, kids need a teenage character to identify with. I don't know, when you were watching G.I. Joe and all that, did you ever need the teenage character, or were you just going, I want to see people kill each other? I don't need a character my age. I didn't need that person there at all. I mean, I think the closest that ever worked was Penny on Inspector Gadget because she was basically the street man and managed to actually figure stuff out when Inspector Gadget was pretty much useless. But in here, it's like, yeah, I don't need this pizza delivery kid whatsoever. Like I said, they de-aged him to make him a teenager, yet this movie takes place, or this series takes place after the events of the last film. So would that make Tara a retroactive pedophile then, (laughs) technically? Yeah. Because they had sex in the last movie. Yeah, that was kind of weird and a little unsettling. The great thing about the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon, the first season especially, is it has the same sort of absurdist humor. The jokes are not for kids. No. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that in a graphic way. I mean that in a kids are not going to understand half of the jokes in this cartoon, are they? No, which I appreciated definitely. I mean, there were some real like, wow. Uh, like I said, the, the airplane joke. It's like kids aren't going to necessarily understand that. And I found it for, to be very funny. And you have John Aston coming back to voice Dr. Gangrene. He's the only one of the movie actors that would voice a character on this. But then there's the fact that this the whole first season was about Dr. Gangrene, now called Putrid, trying to take over the world. Did you notice how in season two they did an abrupt tonal shift by making him actually take over the world? And then it becomes this sort of resistance show in season two where it's like, okay, total left turn there between seasons. I wondered how the rest of season two is going to go because when he wins, and I love how they're like counting down to the end of the episode and like, oh no, everything will be fine. By the end of the episode, it'll all be okay. And they just keep saying that and then it's like, nope, it's not going to be okay. And when it ended, I was like, really? They're not going to come back for one more thing and undo everything? So I was very happy about that. Yeah, season two, I think one of the funniest running gags in season two is... Dr. Gangrene is in over his head. He didn't understand how much actual work running the world is is actually going to be, and I thought that was a hilarious, very adult sort of gag. I didn't I'm in over my head here, you know? That's nice. But the but the big problem with season two that made the ratings go down, one, they changed animation studios. I don't know if you noticed how a how vastly the the animation changed. Oh yeah, it looks so cheap. I couldn't believe it. They went, yeah, they very much cheaped out in season two, and they started using more CG graphics, which we're talking 1991-era CGI for TV. It looks awful. Yeah, when they were all flying off to different parts of the world in the airplane, I was just like, what is going on? These airplanes look so weird. That was a weird Fox thing. Fox wanted more CGI, you know, CG's the future. Remember, this is the era where Reboot is about to come in. Transformers Generation 2 and Beast Wars are right on the horizon. CG is the future. And it's like, no, guys, it's not. It was nice having some of these familiar voice actors in here. I mean, like Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche. Uh, that was kind of cool. Cam Cam Clark as Igor, whereas Igor. And then Chuck McCann as the beefsteak tomato, who just, you know, you couldn't really tell that that was Chuck, but okay, that's fine. But yeah, it was like, oh, okay, these are all these people either will be or are going to be in Animaniacs like very, very soon. 
just like the other two movies, this one is, it, it's not a mean-spirited takedown of movies. This one's a mean-spirited takedown of children's cartoons. Maybe not in some of the episodes I didn't send you, but they constantly reference the fact that they're a cartoon and that if they were live action, they could do other things. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gangrene points at the camera in one episode. He's, he's shooting, like, vegetables at, at, at one of the characters. He goes, you know, if we were in live action, I could actually use bullets and end this right now. Oh, wow. Nice. And it's it's jokes like that that kids are not into this, which is why I think the show only lasted 21 episodes. This was a show for adults marketed to kids. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But, I mean, just the two episodes that you sent me, I was like, okay, I'd like to see more of this. And for some reason, and this is where I said Fox becomes an issue later, Fox doesn't seem to have had any interest in putting any of this stuff out on DVD. Fox would handle the next two sequels, no DVD releases. Fox handled this, no DVD release. DeBello has been fighting with Fox for years over Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the cartoon. And Fox just won't let it go. And now that Disney owns the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon, DeBello's probably never going to get it back. Oh, that's a shame. At best, maybe Disney will put out the show on DVD, though. Maybe that's the best we're going to get now that Fox owns it. Yeah, I'm very curious because I know Warner Brothers has their, like, you know, DVD on demand service. Does uh, Disney or any of the subsidiaries have anything like that? I don't believe so. Uh-huh. I think Disney Disney keeps a tight control because, like, Disney still won't even release Ewoks and Droids right. uncut. I don't know why they won't do that. Fans have been asking for that for almost a decade now. And Disney's like, well, no, these aren't coming. I don't know why. Well, maybe they're not canon anymore. Were they ever? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, were they ever? Well, okay, speaking of canon, so you got the TV show going, you know, the first season was very strong in the ratings, and then I don't know why such an abrupt change was made for season two, but I, I've read that that was a Fox thing. They wanted to make Killer Tomatoes Eat France, as teased at the end of Return. They were running into problems with, because part of that movie was actually shot in France, they were running into problems with some of the investors and in securing the locations that they needed. So in the meantime, it was like, well, let's not just not do anything. Let's just throw together another sequel taking place in America. So we get Killer Tomatoes Strike Back. Weird, because now this one rewrites the continuity again. I don't know, Rick Rockwell I thought was a fine actor in this as as our lead. God, he just, the jokes in this one, most of them don't land. I thought this one was weak in terms of jokes that work, you know? Yeah, I mean, I gotta be honest, these second two, um, this one and France, I'm just like, eh, okay. I enjoyed this a little bit more than France for whatever reason. Neither one of them, I was like, oh wow, this is a great continuation of the series. It's like, maybe you should have ended after two. Well, they're direct-to-video at this point, and you can kind of tell when you watch it, you know, one and two feel theatrical, even though they feel a different type of theatrical, if that makes sense. But three and four, these feel direct-to-video, and that's absolutely what they are. In, in this one, you got Dr. Gangrene back again, you got Igor back again, and you've got the tomatoes. People seem to not believe... Okay, there's a weird thing. They have the continuity. They reference the events of the last two movies. They reference the events that, like, pizza is still disgusting because a running gag is because you don't have tomatoes, you don't have tomato sauce, so you have all these disgusting TMNT-style pizzas are the only things that are available. They reference that, but then... Everyone's shocked, like, what, a tomato killed somebody? No, that can't... Did you not see the last two movies, guys? You know, they're in continuity, supposedly. Right, do you not remember why we can't have tomato sauce on our pizzas? And I do have to say, I've had plenty of pizzas without tomato sauce or tomato-based, and they are fantastic. There's a, a terrific, uh, what do you call that, the sandwich? It's the uh, corned beef and, and sauerkraut, uh, a Reuben. There's, like, a Reuben pizza that I've had before with Thousand Island Oh, it's fantastic. So good. You're a disgusting human. The first two movies and the cartoon were satirizing various genres. This one just seems to be a weird comedy. Like, were you a little taken aback by the famous scene with the giant slice of bread and the bacon and they're they're trying to cook the female scientist? What are we doing, guys? There there were some things I really liked. I I loved the fact that our female scientist speaks tomato because the tomatoes can communicate with each other. They make this little sort of language. I like the fact that our main character can't understand them and she's like, it's okay, I speak tomato and she's going 
right. And they're having a conversation. I thought that scene was so cute. That was nice, yes. She also bugged the hell out of me. She's the tomatoologist, and she keeps saying tomato. You don't know how much that bothered me in this movie, Mike. Tomato. What? There's something wrong with saying tomato? I hate people that say tomato. <laughs> they even they even call her a tomatoologist, and she keeps saying tomato. Are you okay with uh, aluminium? Oh, I will kill you. I will kill you. <laughs> Aluminum. You need to get out. It's more. not. It's not aluminium. And if you call, and if you call it a boot instead of a trunk, I'm gonna put you in the boot. Wow. I guess you're not going to England anytime soon. England wouldn't have me anyway. That's true. Good luck getting that passport. But so in this one, I guess if there is a satire angle, it's taking some shots at daytime television and talk shows. I actually think some of that works. Maybe not all of it, but I think some of that works in, in this one. Yeah, I don't know if people watching it these days would necessarily understand all of that because they didn't live through the, the talk show, talk show wars like we did. Uh, you know, that he is kind of being Donahue and yeah, there's some kind of discussion about some of the other talk show hosts and stuff. I mean, I was just, God, what was I just reading where it was very similar in, in that they had all these different talk show hosts and pitting them against each other. But yeah, I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I guess people remember Jerry and Maury these days, but not the glut that we had of like Montel and you know all of Gordon, just all of these different talk show hosts all at the same time. And then this one just kind of it came and went, and then you had the you had the TV series on more or less at the same time, and then we finally get Killer Tomatoes Eat France in 1991, and I don't I don't know what to think about this one. It just this one didn't work for me, and it's not like oh you hate the French. It's a lot of the jokes fall flat. The fact that they're in France, they overplay so oh, much. God, yes. I mean, every French stereotype is in there, and if and if you just did that a little bit, that would work. And they just overplay it so much. And then Mark Price, don't have a problem with him as an actor. I lost track of how many goddamn references to Family Ties there was. Yes. It was like, I get it. You were on Family Ties. He looks at the camera at one point. Michael J. Fox is a huge movie star. And I'm shooting a stupid Killer Tomatoes movie in France. That's all you had to say. I, I mean, this one, it just seemed like they were running... On empty. You, you've got you've got Zoltar, the the main tomato henchman from the cartoon. He's in this one, and because remember we brought up the in this one they just speak English, and I don't know why that bothered me so much. Yeah, the I don't know if you mentioned the faces that they have in three and four, or three and four that they add these faces in here, and it's just like where is this coming from? And they're getting more more expression in those faces as the movies go on. And it's like okay, when do we turn into like ghoulies or critters here? That may have been a conscious choice to make it like ghoulies or critters. That may have been something they were actually chasing. And yeah, those, I mean, just even from the opening credits where it was like translating quote unquote stuff into French. And I was just like, yeah, I saw this in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't really need this in this movie. I mean, these credits were like house, uh, Simpsons treehouse of horrors level jokes. And it was like, okay, enough. And just they kept going and kept going and kept going. And yeah, I mean, it just. Not so much where I was just like, this is stupid, but enough where I was just like, okay, guys, come on, let's let's move on a little bit. Well, and then you also have the fact that, again, I'm going to point out the continuity. So at the end of Strike Back, Dr. Gangrene is found out, and in, in actually a, a pretty funny takeoff on, like, sports behind the scenes after a game, he's taken to jail. I actually like That's that over nice. the credits. Yeah, that is very good. So in this, he's in France and he's being executed for crimes and I'm going, wait, what, when did he, I, but this is, huh? Yep. It just is okay, you know, and, and you you got Igor back, and honestly, I think he's the most fun character in this one, because the actor always seems like he's having a ball playing Igor. Yeah, and I was very surprised, and when the opening credits said that this was based on the man in the Iron Mask, I was like, yeah, right, whatever, and then when his double shows up, Louis the 3rd, 23rd, 28th, I think it is, when he shows up, it's like, Oh, uh, alright, so this actually is based on Man in the Iron Mask. This is interesting. I just, I didn't like this one. It, it, it may, maybe this is the movie that they planned before Strike Back. Maybe this is, was rewritten after Strike Back. I don't know. This is, this is the one that didn't work for me. Yeah. And I know, I know you messaged me last night going, this one's really working my nerves. Yeah, these last two movies felt almost like they were trauma films, but maybe not even good enough to be picked up by trauma. And like I said, these were Fox, so these had money to them. 
I mean, if they didn't have John Aston, I would just be like, yeah, pass. But just to watch John Aston, okay, you can watch these. And again, he looks like he is having an absolute ball here. Oh, yeah. Him in that Jorana Hugh makeup and when he's correcting uh, Igor about calling him Jorana Hugh when, at the right times, that was really good. That's actually the last one. Uh, the, the third one, right. Sorry, I, right. I kind of lumped the third and the fourth together because they just, neither one of them works that well for me. <laughs> But I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you probably watched them back to back as well. Uh, I gave them a couple days between each one of these. I gave each film two days in between. Well, so this is technically the end of the franchise. We'll get into the other thing in a minute. Why do you think Fox now Disney is not putting these out, the, the cartoon and all that? Because you can really only get one and two on DVD or Blu-ray or digital download or anything. You have to bootleg the rest of them. Why do you think the Fox stuff was, yeah, the, we don't care? Yeah, I don't understand. It seems like it would be not that much to put out. I mean, is the price of putting out physical media actually prohibiting them from doing so? I mean, is there that much overhead? I'm not sure. And with Disney now, because Disney technically owns the second film now, because that was by New World, but then Fox bought New World, so now that Disney owns Fox, (laughs) Disney should own everything except the original movie. If they could just make a deal with whoever currently owns Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, I would love a box set that included all four movies and the TV TV series. I would love that. I would actually put my hatred of Disney aside, and I would probably buy that. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll be on Disney+. Plus. Then I pass. <laughs> yeah. I'm not about to sign up for another f***ing streaming service anytime soon. But before we talk about the big news with Killer Tomatoes, let's talk about director John DiBello. So all of these movies and many episodes of the TV series were all directed by John DiBello. Now, here's the weird thing about John DiBello. You brought up Happy Hour, a.k.a. Sour Grapes. Not the only non-Killer Tomatoes thing he directed. I was shocked last night when I was researching. He directed a Lorenzo Lamas action film. Hell yes. Not a comedy. Black Dawn in 1997. What? Because I've never seen the movie, but I watched the trailer and I went, this looks like not a good movie, but an actual just action movie. How did the Killer Tomatoes guy, who literally the rest of his filmography is all Killer Tomatoes, make an action movie with Lorenzo Lamas in the 90s? God, I wish I knew. I would love to see that conversation of how he got hired from that. We love your Attack of the Killer Tomatoes movies. Can you make this serious movie about drug smuggling in Mexico for us? Not just directing, but also writing it, too. Yeah, I think he produced it as well. I, I guess he wanted to stretch his legs a little. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw the cover for it, it reminded me of Black Dog, the one with uh, uh, Kurt Russell, because just the color scheme was f- uh, similar to that, and then it was called Black Dawn. I was like, is this another trucker movie? What's going on here? I thought, I thought Black Dog was Patrick Swayze. Was that him? Oh, jeez. Now i got to look it up. I actually think that was Patrick Swayze. I might be wrong. No, you are right. Black Dog is Patrick Swayze. What was the one with Kurt Russell where it was a, a killer trucker after, after him? I, I'm not sure. Was, with, was that him and Meatloaf? I thought... But, okay, now I have to look at Breakdown. That's what it is. Okay. And Breakdown has a cover that is orange on one side, orange on the other side, and blue in the middle. So it's very similar to the, uh, to the Black Dawn poster. Dawn poster. Yeah. All right. So I was mixing all those things up up in my head. Too many blacks. Boy, take, take that out. Take that out of context. Yeah. That's what President Trump told me. Well, and then we also have to talk about one of the producers and writers. He played Finn Letter in all of the t- live-action Killer Tomatoes movies, and that would be J. Stephen Peace. The reason he is such a weird figure is he went on to become a senator. Wow. He he is a politician. One of During one of his election campaigns that people brought up, the whole attack of the killer, you really are going to vote for the attack of the Killer Tomatoes guy? I think that's hilarious. Do you remember the Gary Condit scandal where he killed his mistress and all I that? I think so, yeah. I can't remember her name, but I, I remember her name was all over the place. Gary Condit, because he was friends with Steve Peace is actually in Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, my Tomatoes. God. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a featured extra in that, and, of course, people loved to point that out, too, after the, the scandal. Okay. So we, we got to talk about the other news. Now, they announced just a couple of weeks ago that an Attack of the Killer Tomatoes re- reboot, it's a complete remake, has just started filming. 
and I think I'm calling bullshit. I don't see how, considering Fox has an ownership stake in the franchise, which is now Disney, they announced this out of nowhere, and the director is one of those guys who's never worked with a budget of over $100,000 and makes seven movies a year. I'm saying there's no, I can't see how he got the rights to the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes franchise. They keep talking about this remake and I'm saying it'll, it, I'll believe it at the same time I believe Tarantino's Star Trek. Yeah, uh, gosh, there seems to be, there was another one that I recently read where it's like, oh yeah, we've got the rights to this. I'm like, do you though? Is this, do you, do you really have the rights to this? I'm trying to remember which one that was, but I, yeah, I mean, you know, weirder things have happened. I mean, this could be one of those weird things where both Fox had the rights to it and somebody else had the rights to it too. It could be like, you know, the, the Maximoff, uh, twins on, uh, in the Marvel universe. Well, actually I'm thinking the only way I can really see them getting the rights to this is if, if they do it in a very specific way, because Fox didn't have anything to do with the first movie, but they did with all the others, so they have rights stakes in those. If this is like, we're only using elements of the first movie, no Terra, no Fuzzy Tomato, no Dr. Gangrene, it might be DeBello still has the rights to elements from the first movie only. You can only use this, but this was introduced in the second movie, so you can't use that. This could be a total cluster of rights is what they're maybe trying to pull off here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at their website right now, KillerTomatoes.com, and it's like, okay, I mean, every, you know, you can make a, a web page in no time at all, uh, and this is just kind of uh, a thing there right now. But I, I just think I don't like the director. And like I said, th- th- this is a guy who he makes seven movies a year, so you know he takes his time to make sure they're good. Mike, is this uh, Takeshi Mike? He, he could only wish he was Mike. So yeah, and then I also like that. They have a contest on their website right now, and no purchase necessary. Participants will be selected by October 31st, 2018. So they haven't updated the copyright on their website yet, and it's only midway through 2019. This is why I said I, I'll believe this when I see it. I mean, I, I know we saw that tweet from the director. We start shooting tomorrow. I, I don't buy it. But l- let's say for the sake of this argument, this is happening. What are they hoping to accomplish? No one's begging for Attack of the Killer Tomatoes remake. You know the tomatoes are going to be god-awful CGI now. Who's this made for, Mike? Yeah, I mean, had they gotten the guy that did Birdemic, maybe he could do this, but I don't necessarily believe that. Okay, now now that you're, are you? Would you call yourself a tomato fan now that you've seen every, you know, all of them? I would say I uh, am a to- tomato, uh, not an apologist, maybe uh, an aficionado. Do you want a remake? No, not really. I would rather just have the first one put out as a deluxe Blu-ray with like the whole package of the sequels and the cartoons and all that stuff. I don't need a remake for this. Well, okay, now that you've seen them all, what are your thoughts on the franchise that probably never should have been a franchise, but I'm glad is a franchise that most people don't realize is a franchise? Well, yeah, I'm glad that the first two are around, definitely, and the second two are pretty fun, and the cartoon series was actually amazingly fun. In the cartoon series, you can all find them on YouTube. You can find all the episodes on YouTube, which is the only way you can not legally get them. There you go. Well, at least, at least there's so, that. So that's something for now. So what are your final thoughts on the Killer Tomatoes franchise? Do you recommend it? Do you recommend people going and finding the cartoon and finding the last two sequels? Because the, the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you can get on, you can get that pretty cheap on actual DVD. And then Return of the Killer Tomatoes is so ubiquitous. I own it three times <laughs> on three different, you know, like eight film box sets that they're basically giving that one away. Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking out the first two. And then if you really need to go further, then check out, I would say, first animated series and then the sequels after that. Okay, it's weird. You mentioned Troma when it came to Killer Tomato Strike Back and Strike and Eat France. I got a very class of Nukem High 2 and 3 vibe off right? those, didn't yeah. you? Oh, yeah, totally. But I don't know if I should have. Maybe because I just watched those in the last month, but I really got a class of Nukem High 2 and 3 vibe, and I don't mean that in a bad way. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Where can people find Mike White if they choose to? If you want to, you can find me over at projectionboothpodcast.com, where every week I put out a movie podcast where I don't, unfortunately, talk about Killer Tomatoes. Where can people contact you if they wish to? Uh, I'd rather they didn't. 
That's fair, too. So you can contact me at 1201beyond at gmail.com. You can go to 1201beyond.com. Remember the 1201beyond.com, Drome VPN to use Nord. Use the Drome code. I say go and check out the Killer Tomatoes stuff. It's it's worth seeing, if not anything else, for just going, this is pre-airplane insanity. Because it really is. Oh, and, and the fact that in the, in the sequel, in Return, they actually considered Leslie Nielsen for Dr. Gangrene before they got John Aston. Oh, wow. Well, he would have brought a whole different sensibility. I'm glad that they went with Aston. But I'm just saying that's one more airplane connection. Oh, yeah. I mean, surely you can't be serious. Mm, nice. Are, are you mad that they never made the fake sequel that they keep teasing in these movies, the the Carrot Uprising? <laughs> that was good. I am surprised they, they, they never did. They keep bringing that up again and again. I, you just get this weird thing that DeBello really wants to make this, but no one wants to give him money for it, right. you know? <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.